Hey everybody, it's Dan Dan, and we're diving into a big book study. And today we are in a chapter called Working with Others, and we're kind of in the second part of that chapter. Um, this chapter is really interesting because it, it goes, it's a long chapter, first of all, and it goes into, well, a whole lot of different ideas on how we deal with alcoholics. So it's the 12th step, right? Practice these principles in all our affairs is one part. We're going to get into that later. And today we're focused on the second part of how to deal with an alcoholic that is a prospect for AA. And in doing so, we've gone over a lot of really good information. Bill, as he wrote this, and the people that were influencing the book have given us a lot of ideas on how to approach these guys. And the main idea is to not offend them. We don't want them to run off. You know, we, we don't need them to be offended by AA. So we want to look at our traditions and make this as attractive as possible, that we open ourselves to being vulnerable by telling them our story and that we encourage them to tell theirs. If they're in a bad mood or a dark mood, we talk about the seriousness or the serious things that happen. If they're in a light mood, we tell some funny stories about our drunkologues and escapades. And then what we're going to do is move this conversation down a funnel from very broad, from a very broad place down to the spiritual principles and where we left off the sentences, the main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. Those are the conditions of moving forward. And it's willing to believe, not that he does believe. He could say, whatever, I'll do anything. I think that's a perfectly good answer. I've gotten that answer from guys a few times. Or he may be all the way into religion. We don't know. And we're going to address those things as we move forward. So we've gotten this prospect. We've had a conversation with him. And the prospect has expressed an interest in our program. We've dropped down to saying, hey, it's a spiritual program, not a self-help program. We're going to rely on a God, whatever your conception of God is. And we're going to move forward. And we'll pick it up there. It says, the main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself. And that he live by spiritual principles. It goes on. When dealing with such a person, you had better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. So the temptation is for us religious folks is to go into all this club talk, shop talk about sin and save and surrender, blah, 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 all this crazy stuff that's wonderful amongst your religious friends, the friends that share your religion, but has almost no value at all with your prospect. All those words separate him and put you into a club that he doesn't understand and takes him out of that club and he doesn't think he can get help. So it's things that divide, language that divides. You know, if you got to cuss at him, cuss at him, do whatever, but stay away from the shop talk. And we have it in AA too. We want to throw these little phrases at him like first things first, easy does it, think, 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 one day at a time, right? Relax, relax, take a deep breath. Stay away from that stuff for a minute. There is no use arousing any prejudice he may have against certain theological terms like saved and surrendered and spirit and conceptions about which he may already be confused. Don't raise such issues no matter what your own convictions are. It's like, don't do it. And when your mind says, but, but, nope, don't do it even with that. All right, just don't do it. Your prospect may belong to a religious denomination. His religious education and training may be far superior to yours. 
In that case, he's going to wonder how you can add anything to what he already knows. Remember that self-righteousness, that pride, that ego? It's in there too. But he will be curious to learn why his own convictions have not worked and why yours seem to work so well. He may be an example of the truth that faith alone is insufficient. To be vital, faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. That leads us to practice these principles in all our affairs. And I think, I mean, to me, I find that in this book and I say, wow, there it is. There's the reference point, the, the foreshadowing of what we're going to talk about. This is what I'm supposed to be doing as I sit across from this prospect. I'm supposed to be engaged in self-sacrifice and unselfish, constructive action. goes on, let him see that you are not there to instruct him in religion because you're practicing a self-sacrificial and unselfish constructive action, right? Admit that he probably knows more about it than you do, but call to his attention the fact that however deep his faith and knowledge, he could not have applied it or he would not drink. Perhaps your story will help him see where he has failed to practice the very precepts he knows so well. We represent no particular faith or denomination. We are dealing only with general principles common to most denominations. Outline the program of action. The program of action is the 12 steps. Explaining how you made a self-appraisal, and that'd be like steps one, step two, three, and four. How you straighten out your past, maybe five, you know, we take this idea of the nature of our wrongs and we convert it to get rid of uh, character defects and shortcomings, right? And why you are now endeavoring to be helpful to him. It's important for him to realize that your attempt to pass this on to him plays a vital part in your recovery. Why do you think that's important? Because the end of this set of suggestions, these 12 steps, is that he do this. I like to tell guys that you're training to be a spiritual leader. Your life will come back together. Your relationships will get better. You will get financial stability back in your life. We need not focus on that. What we focus on is this set of spiritual principles, the program of action, and that to the degree we can do that, to the degree we can focus and master and practice this program of action, that we can build in our understanding and experience in that program of action will be the degree that we're able to help somebody else. So it's super, super important. This is why it goes on to say this. Actually, he may be helping you more than you're helping him as you reminisce and remember all the things you've learned. Make it plain he is under no obligation to you that you hope only that he will try to help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. Suggest how important it is that he places the welfare of other people ahead of his own. That occurs the very first day. And, you know, this is something that might be controversial, but you frequently hear in meetings of the contemporary type that there's some sort of time frame, that there's some sort of criteria, that there's some sort of progress that is necessary, that somehow, some way, you reach a magical point, some mystical, magical point that no one can really define, and that's the day you're ready to be helpful to others. Nothing could be more wrong. You're ready before you even get started. The first act of service that we all do is stay sober by going to meetings, working the steps, and improving our own character. That's service to the people that love us, 
Those are services to the people that are closest to us, that are rooting us on. The very first day, the very first day, we are to suggest how important it is that he places the welfare of other people ahead of his own. Make it clear that he is not under pressure, that he needn't see you again if he doesn't want to. You should not be offended if he wants to call it off, for he has helped you more than you have helped him because you just remembered all the commitments you've made. You've recognized all the progress that you've made, and hopefully you've walked away with a sense of gratitude and humility of the position you find yourself in. If your talk has been sane, I mean, based on reason, quiet and full of human understanding, you have perhaps made a friend. Maybe you have disturbed him about the question of alcoholism. That's our goal. <laughs> this is all to the good. The more hopeless, here's another tough statement. The more hopeless he feels, the better. Have you ever been rooting on hopelessness? <laughs> hey, he's almost there. He's almost hopeless enough. Oh, we'll just check in next week. Maybe he'll finally have mastered this hopelessness. The more hopeless he feels, the better. He will be more likely to follow your suggestions. So crisis, desperation, that's the gift. That's what we're looking for. Your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all the program. I mean, I'll do steps two and six, but you know, the rest of this I'm not doing. Your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all of the program. He may rebel at the thought of a drastic house cleaning, which requires discussion with other people. Do not contradict such views. Say, okay, that's your answer. Oh, okay. Do not contradict such views. Tell him you once felt as he does. But you doubt whether you would have made much progress had you not taken action. On your first visit, tell him about the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. If he shows interest, lend him your copy of this book. And I think that's funny. I keep three copies of the book. I keep one copy for going over it with sponsees. I keep another copy, which is all beat up and multiply highlighted. I see those all the time in other people's hands. And I keep a blank copy because I'm not about to give away my book. <laughs> you know, it's just the way it is. My book's like sacred to me. It has all sorts of notes and I can see the progress of my spiritual life in the notes of that book. So keep a blank copy with you. Unless your friend wants to talk further about himself, do not wear out your welcome. Give him a chance to think it over. If you do stay, let him steer the conversation in any direction he likes. Sometimes a new man is anxious to proceed at once, and you may be tempted to let him do so. In my experience, it's really been a downloading of the grievances with wives and work and family and the law. Anyway, it goes on. This is sometimes a mistake. If he has trouble later, he is likely to say you rushed him, so don't do it. You will be most successful with alcoholics if you do not exhibit any passion for crusade or reform. Ooh, that's hard when something saved your life, isn't it? Do not exhibit any passion for crusade or reform. Never talk down to an alcoholic from any moral or spiritual hilltop. Simply lay out the kit of spiritual tools for his inspection. Show him how they worked with you. Offer him friendship and fellowship. So here's your summary, right? The summary is just this, lay out the, the kit of spiritual tools, show him how they work for you, offer him friendship and fellowship, and tell him if he wants to get well, you will do anything to help. If he is not interested in your solution, if he expects you to act only as a banker for his financial difficulties or a nurse for his breeze, you may have to drop him until he changes his mind. This he may do after he gets hurt some more. Another harsh statement. If he is sincerely interested and wants to see you again, 
And we've given lots of qualifiers, right? Lots of qualifiers. Well, how do I know if he's sincerely interested? Well, I've, I've ascertained that he's an alcoholic. I believe so, though I'm not going to call him that. We're relating enough. He's expressed interest in the program. I've emphasized the fact that this is a spiritual program and it will require that he rely on a higher power. And he's opened himself to that. He's like, I don't know anything about any of that or whatever, but he hasn't flat rejected it. So that means he's ready. That's what we're talking about. If he is sincerely interested and wants to see you again, ask him to read this book in the interval. So that's when the book comes in. Here it is. After doing that, he must decide for himself whether he wants to go on. He should not be pushed or prodded by you, his wife, his friends. If he is to find God, the desire must come from within. Critical statement. It happens automatically. We don't need to push any of that. If he thinks he can do the job in some other way or prefers some other spiritual approach, encourage him to follow his own conscience. You know, a lot of us get offended by that. A lot of us go like, well, I don't think church is going to work for you, you know. I don't think that Buddha stuff's going to work for you. I don't think you can stretch yourself in yoga and make yourself a pretzel, you know, and somehow get sober. I don't see how that's going to work for you. I don't know how supplements are going to work for you. You can run around that track until, you you know, you go on 1,700 miles. It's not going to work for you. We want to say these things because we found such a gift in AA. We're passionate about it. This is the passion we are to leave on the sidelines, right? Leave it on the sidelines. So if he thinks he can do the job in some other way or prefers some other spiritual approach, encourage him to follow his own conscience. We have no monopoly on God. That great spirit that saved you, that creative creative force that saved your life and brought you to AA, has the infinite universe to work with. Every human being and every possibility is available out there. And who knows? What's going to happen with this prospect? We don't know. And that's why we don't have a monopoly on God. We didn't trademark him. We don't copyright him. God is not ours, so to speak. It says, we merely have an approach that worked with us, but point out that we alcoholics have much in common and that you would like in any case to be friendly. Let it go at that. Do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try Again, this is another harsh statement. You are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. We're looking for alcoholics that are desperate and eager for the solution. We find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. So that's why we just walk away. It's the old don't waste my time speech. Lots of us give it. One of our fellowship failed entirely to be Bill Wilson with his first half dozen prospects. He often says that if he had continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. Suppose now you are making your second visit to a man. Okay, here we are, the second visit. So all of that's like the first visit. That's a tall order, isn't it? He has read this volume and says he is prepared to go through with the 12 steps of the program of recovery. Having had the experience yourself, so you can't do this if you haven't done it, you can give him much practical advice. Let him know you are available if he wishes to make a decision and tell his story. But do not insist upon it if he prefers to consult someone else. Sponsorship. There it is. 
Let him know. Let him know. You are available if he wishes to make a decision and tell his story, but do not insist upon it if he prefers to consult someone else. You have a lot of practical advice. If he wants to work with you, offer it. He may be broke and homeless. If he is, you might try to help him about getting a job or give him a little financial assistance, but you should not deprive your family or creditors of the money they should have. Perhaps you will want to take the man into your home for a few days, but be sure you use discretion. Talk to your wife, you know, get permission, work this out ahead of time. Be certain he will be welcomed by your family and that he is not trying to impose upon you for money, connections, or shelter. Permit that and you only harm him. Hear that? It's not that your wife gets mad at you. It's that you're killing this person, right? You permit their bad behavior. You allow them to manipulate you. You allow them to lie with you. You hurt them. That's the concern. You will be making it possible for him to be insincere, which won't work. Rigorous honesty, right? You may be aiding in his destruction rather than his recovery. So that soft heart we get, that sense of compassion. I tell people, don't bring compassion, bring empathy. Leave the compassion aside. Be honest. Super kind, honest, not nice, honest. Never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure you are doing the right thing if you assume them. Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. A kindly act once in a while isn't enough. Intensive work, it said, right? You have to act the Good Samaritan every day. If need be, it may mean the loss of many nights sleep, great interference with your pleasures, interruptions to your business. It may mean sharing your money and your home, counseling frantic wives and relatives, innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and asylums. Your telephone may jingle at any time of the day or night. Your wife may sometimes say she is neglected. A drunk may smash the furniture in your home or burn a mattress. I mean, this is getting pretty out there, isn't it? Think about that. You may have to fight with him if he is violent. What? Think, think about this. I mean, ask yourselves, are you willing to put yourselves in this position? Because this is what our program is asking us to do. This is what it says is the pathway to successful, recovered living. Hmm. Sometimes you will have to call a doctor and administer sedatives under his direction. Today, we would call an ambulance and the police and have him hauled off to the hospital where that can be done. Another time, you may have to send for the police or an ambulance. Oh, there it is. Occasionally, you will have to meet such conditions. If you get into this and you do intensive work with other alcoholics, you're going to run across these situations. It is no joke. It's a life or death matter. Are you ready? Are you ready? We're going to get to that in a second. We seldom allow an alcoholic to live in our homes for long at a time. It is not good for him. I promise you it's not good for you either, but it's definitely not good for him. And it sometimes creates serious complications in a family. Though an alcoholic does not respond, there is no reason why you should neglect his family. So interact with the family even still. You should continue to be friendly to them. The family should be offered your way of life. Give them the book. Ask them to read the first 164. Should they accept and practice spiritual principles, there is a much better chance that the head of the family will recover. Will recover. And even though he continues to drink, the family will find life more bearable. That's Al-Anon, right? Naranon, all these different family-oriented 12-step programs. We, we move them to those that can help them with the problem that they have. We move them to our comrades that are uniquely qualified to help the family. 
for the type of alcoholic who is able and willing to get well, little charity in the ordinary sense of the word is needed or wanted. Think about that for a second. For the type of alcoholic who is able and willing, 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 so important, willing to get well, little charity. You won't have to do anything. They'll go after it like a drowning man after a life preserver, right? The men who cry for money and shelter before conquering alcohol are on the wrong track. Hmm. Yet we do go to great extremes to provide each other with these very things when such action is warranted. This may seem inconsistent, but we think it's not. In other words, once they commit to the program and they're working the program, we want to be of maximum assistance. Until that commitment is made and demonstrated, demonstrated they're doing it, we do not offer these things. It is not the matter of giving that is in question, of course not, but when and how to give. That often makes the difference between failure and success. The minute we put our work on a service plane, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. He clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are cared for. We've all heard this. Nonsense, our program says. Not just that's the longest sentence in the big book and the shortest one. Nonsense. Some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job, wife or no wife, we simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence upon God. Burn the idea into the consciousness of every man. I mean, I don't know how to do that, but it's something we want to uh, remind our prospects over and over and over again, we want to burn it into the consciousness of every prospect, every man, that he can get well regardless of anyone. Hmm. The only condition is that he trusts in God and cleans his house. That's where we're going to end for today. We move on from here to talk about domestic relations and things like that. That's really a totally different topic. Man, did we cover some ground there. So we we went to the first section. We take the funnel down and we've handed them this book and we've insisted on spiritual principles and that he's got to believe in a power greater than himself to recover. And then we take out the book and we find this guy, probably it seems like Bill's experiencing or relating to us a set of circumstances where someone is really, really struggling with the idea. And I, when I say the word struggle, what I mean unwilling to make a decision, unwilling to commit to the program. A struggle is a self-imposed, manufactured difficulty. It doesn't actually exist. So it's a person that sits with indecision, right? A struggle. And we call this stuff struggle because they got one way or another to go. They stood at the turning point. And we want them to turn towards God and ask his protection and care with complete abandoned. And that's a big bite for a lot of people. So I think the conversation today, how did you engage AA when you were brand new? How did you deal with that turning point? Was it automatic? Were you beat up enough? Were you already desperate enough and eager enough? Did you come in and go to, you know, 60 meetings because the court made you, then one day the light came on for you? Was it something where you've been in and out a hundred times with getting white chips, you know, all sorts of chips and you're getting those one day symbols that you're going to not drink for 24 hours? 
What was it for you? How is this going for you? How difficult was it for you to let go absolutely? How difficult was it for you to get into this program? For me, it wasn't very difficult. I was super desperate and eager. I still showed up reluctantly. And I, and I'm, there's a thousand, it seems like there's a slight variation for every one of us that gets here. But there's one thing for sure. With the program of action, with the program of action, the names change, the faces change, but the results that the steps give do not change. They are promises, guarantees, warranties of life. So how has that worked for you? And if you sponsored a lot of guys, you're an old timer, you've been around for a while, talk a little bit about how you have encountered these things. What is it that you've encountered and what mistakes have you made? That'd be great to share. And what types of things have worked really well for you when you're moving the person from they're ready to do it into the book and they start into this struggle of events where they might even be violent. They might burn a mattress. It must have happened. It's just like a weird thing in there. It's like, hey, it might burn a mattress. Okay. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of other things that could happen, um, but that's in there. There could be extreme circumstances. And how do you interact with that desperate alcoholic that might be homeless, helpless, and hopeless? I hope you guys have a great discussion.